Welcome to Pro Talks, our podcast where we chat with CEOs and founders of some of the most interesting and influential asset management companies in the world. For me, you know, probably the key lesson was that, you know, nothing is too big to fail. I think everybody was really shocked when, when we saw Lehman Brothers collapse. Today we are here with Omar Diallo, Chief Executive Officer at Aeon Investments. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Omar. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you for having me. Um, so first of all, um, could you tell us a bit about yourself and what's your background and how did you end up in the financial industry? Sure. Um, so I have actually a, a scientific background and I've, I've always been drawn by, you know, science-based subjects. So I, I think I just naturally found them to be easy or relatively easy and interesting, engaging. And while in business school, I then became quite fascinated by financial markets and actually mostly derivatives. I really liked the idea that, you know, you could be judged by, you know, by, by the market. So you could have an idea, a theory, and then you could implement it. And then the result would be dictated by the reaction um, in the market. So that I, um, I quite liked. Um, so win or lose, you always were judged by, I would say, like a, a kind of an external referee in mm-hmm. the market. So then I, I took um, the finance major. And then after that, I did a master's degree in market finance and mm-hmm. graduated in, in 2005. And then headed straight to London in the city where I saw it in Europe. That's where most of that um, financial market activity was was happening and you know all the derivatives it was quite exciting because if mm-hmm. you remember that's the time where you know at that time or six or seven everybody saw that that market that bull market that we had mm-hmm. since the dot-com crisis was just gonna go on and on and on and mm-hmm. uh, it was a great time unfortunately we couldn't <laughs> foresee that 2008 was coming around the corner but uh, it was a very exciting time to start in all six. A lot of innovation in the market, a lot of buzz. Uh, obviously, we were coming to the end of the story, but we didn't know that at the time. <laughs> I remember I was at uni as well in, at that time. I mean, I started uni in 2006. So we had like, I started business and we had this change of discourse in 2006 and 2008. <laughs> it was completely different. So, so yeah, I remember the time. Um, so you said that, yeah, that, you started your, your your career just before the financial crisis, as, as we just said. So do you believe uh, the industry has learned any lessons since then? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think there was quite a lot of lessons to learn. You know, there was a lot of exuberance in the market. I think we it was the time where anything was possible. Um, I think, you know, people were probably taking risks that was not well understood. Investors were investing in, in products that they didn't have full visibility. And even the banks, you know, were, were also taking more risks than they probably um, assumed they were. So I think there were many lessons. But for me, you know, probably the key lesson was that, you know, nothing is too big to fail. Mm-hmm. I think everybody was really shocked when when we saw Lehman Brothers collapse. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if you remember well, there was also the near collapse of other big financial yeah. institutions. You know, Bear Stearns, you know, went uh, for a sim- symbolic one pound, I think, at the time. Merrill Lynch had to be saved, mm-hmm. AIG. So, so you know, they, there was a lot of 
big events and we assumed that a, an investment bank of that size could never go down and we realized that you know i think um that it could so that's one of the lesson the other one is also the real estate market quite often we think that real estate is you know is a long only play and can can only go up one way and mm -hmm. uh, the subprime crisis brought you know the real estate market in the us to to a halt and mm -hmm. i think you know when people were potentially buying a flat without putting much deposits i think it was this zero percent mortgage you know where you were getting 100 mm -hmm. of the value and then within a year you could sell it for a profit without having ever putting any any money in that so all that exuberance i think came came crashing down uh one thing that we uh me and some of my colleagues learned as a lesson is that Obviously, the reaction by the central banks when they lowered interest rates to near zero, we actually saw that that was something that would last uh, a lot longer than probably most people assumed. So mm -hmm. everything that we did following that, we kept that in mind. We were thinking, we think that, you know, going forward over the next decade from 08, that income would be king, you know, being able to generate yields. Obviously, at that time, we didn't foresee negative um, yield and negative, um, you know, interest rates. But we clearly thought that the curves would stay close to zero uh, and flat for, for a long time. And so going from crisis to crisis, and since you are like, uh, kind of focused, one of the one of your investment focus on Aon is real estate. Could you tell me like, uh, do you tell us how the how the COVID nineteen crisis affected the market and especially in London, if you see any long term effects, uh, especially in the offices. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting topic. Um, I think if you remember the initial reaction when the world went into lockdown mm -hmm. and most companies adapted to the situation by way of remote working and that's that was quite extraordinary to be honest i mean everybody managed to just from one day to the other to move everything online mm -hmm. um schooling um and and all companies even companies that were were not meant to do that like public services and governments even managed mm -hmm. that. And uh, at that time, like ev every time there's a big shift, you see a lot of uh, premature calls. So a lot of people called for the death of the office. I mean, I'm sure you've, you've read those headlines where, you know, companies were saying that's it, we're starting now to do working from home forever. Mm -hmm. And then we will release some stock of office that we have. And, you know, and people started to say, well, okay, that's it. That is the end of the office as we was as we knew it. Um, uh, so that was a big impact early on, I think, towards Q1, Q2, 2020. There was a similar impact in, in the retail world as well. If you remember, everyone went shopping online, obviously, mm -hmm. because that's the only thing that was available. And people started to say, well, you know, if we start changing habits, these habits will stay. And the shops that, you know, that are on the high streets are going to disappear. Um, we were not radical. We were quite skeptical. I think we deal in, in, in probabilities. And one thing that we um, we don't underestimate is that um, you know human nature is is such that history repeats itself, and mm -hmm. and we have short memory. So the things are cyclical, and it ebbs and flows with its all ups and down. Um, so we were more skeptical in that. We were more reserved. So we were monitoring all the parameters and the inputs to see if the footfall, for example, in Mayfair was returning, if people were taking the tube again. Um, and today you fast forward, it's been two years and you see that 
the office market has gone back, especially in London, for example, has gone back to levels that are similar to, to COVID. Obviously, I, I think the working from home trend is going to remain and you will have ability to work from home a day or two days a week. But beyond that, um, it, it's not going to be what we were thinking where, whereby offices will, will simply disappear. I think one of the most vocal was, uh, I think you remember maybe the CEO of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, he was saying that, you know, the bank's culture is in the office. I think mm -hmm. Goldman made similar call. And today, if you look, especially in London, most banks have, have resumed office work as, as normal. Yeah, I mean, I guess like the, the, the good thing, if, if we could take something good from, from that, it's like, Obviously, all the all the companies have kind of adapted. So I guess like the one day working from home or two days have been installed in most of the big companies. I mean, I read like Airbnb is giving the opportunity to their uh, to their employees to work like from home forever, even though they have like an office. But but yeah, I mean, I understand like for some um, for some industries, it's quite difficult to to work from home. So in a city like London, when there is like a lot of financial industry, um, probably it's been like less affected in terms of that. Maybe cities where like there is like more like kind of technological, right, uh, companies, maybe there is like um, a bigger effect on that, do you think? Well, I mean, it's a good question because, you know, you'd think that tech usually means computer and therefore means individual work. But but even there, when what we have seen, to be honest, the trend is that um, startups, startups need need collaboration. Mm -hmm. You if you're working on a new company, then it's all intertwined. It's not everyone is in silo and they need that um communal thinking you know where you want to rebound yeah. on an idea from your colleague or from a relationship that your colleague is talking about and there's also training there's a lot of those things so mm -hmm. maybe you could be good at coding but someone else is doing you know the algorithm so if i do that on my own you do that on your own uh, does it does it really work or does yeah, that no, need true. a little bit of my input and a bit of your input so i think there is a degree to which you can do some of your job individually and that's why i think the working from home train is not going to disappear there will be some ability but it needs to be mixed with um, an environment where you know ideas could be confronted there could be brainstorming there could be training for junior members of the team and and so on and so forth and that's what we've seen so a lot of people are saying you know you, some people have joined during the pandemic a company where they've never mm -hmm. met a colleague mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's that's difficult to understand the culture of the company and to mm -hmm. relate and to get you know um more connected they feel more connected to to the overall organization and and to the colleagues so i i think there will be a mix even in in tech or legal where you'd think that it's more individualized even then they feel the need of of having office so office space will remain but will probably be reduced in in, in size and do you have any, I mean, did you have any like short term effects in terms of investments? Have they been affected somehow? Well, yes. I mean, I think as, as you've said earlier, everyone has to adapt. And uh -huh. um, I think crisis, that's what they, they teach us. They teach us something new. And from that something new, we adapt. So, for example, 
you know, we, we do, um, you know, we invest uh, all across the credit spectrum in transportation, in real estate, mm-hmm. infrastructure, so everywhere. And if you look at, at transportation, you know, aviation, especially, you look mm-hmm. at pre-COVID and post-COVID, it's two completely different worlds. Um, they went from one one world where, you know, we all assumed that planes were flying pretty much all the time and the business model could never be down to zero. We could mm-hmm. see that local issue could happen. So if there's an ash cloud somewhere in Northern Europe, then obviously that local area is not is not flying. Or if there's a terrorist attack somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. then maybe there is no flight there. But to have like what we had in, in Q1, Q2 2020, where the entire world is, is ground to a halt and there's not a single plane in the air, that's quite extraordinary. Um, and that means, you know, we take that as a lesson and we now, when we're looking at stress scenario, you put in pandemic risk and you try and look into that. So the work from home policy in real estate is something that when we do real estate investment now, we have to think about is the, the office in this area, is it strategic? Um, is there a lot of office stock? Is there maybe too much stock? Are they the companies that we're looking at? Are they, um, do they have a lot of multi-sites and they can basically afford to reduce that? So those, those, those are new questions that, you know, pre-pandemic we'd have never thought about because you take an office, it's a 10-year lease and, and that's it. But now we have to take that into account. If the office has low occupancy, then mm-hmm. it makes sense for the business to potentially cut one of their five offices or one of their five sites. So that's that's uh, the, the the lesson that, that is learned. And I think at every crisis, you take something new mm-hmm. and you adapt your due diligence process to make it more robust. And so on that note, what investments do you see more interesting at the moment in, in real estate? Um, so on, on the real estate side, we, we've been looking at a, at a mixed strategy. We've been, the, the, the area that we've been staying clear of is hospitality and leisure because, you know, obviously uh, we, we still, although in, in, in London and in the UK, we are pretty much at you know at the end of COVID rather than um, in the middle. You still have areas you know in, in China and Asia where where they're still heavily impacted by that. So we're remaining quite cautious. You know, hospitality requires travel, and even when you look at travel right now, short haul are okay. You can fly intra Europe. Long haul is more difficult. Some countries are still closed. Some areas are still closed, and um, you still need you know a few tests, masks, and so on and so forth. So. Do we think that the full potential of, of hospitality, um, the hotels and occupancy at the moment is not is not there? Um, so mm-hmm. we are cautious and not investing in that area. Same for leisure because they really need full access to um, to people and, and and travel. But on the on the um, the retail side, we do think that there are good opportunities. Um, selectively on the industrial, um, obviously, you know, especially with Brexit now, where more of the uh, UK is producing um, uh, in in the UK, so less import from Europe. So that also we think has um, uh, makes sense and has good legs. And then on offices as well, with strategic um, office takers. So like we said, investment banks and and long term tenants. Um, that that makes sense. So that's where we've been we've been looking at. And what about like, how do you see the near future of real estate? Um, do you see any potential in uh, met- the metaverse, for instance, like of investing in a, in real estate in the metaverse that people are talking a lot about that recently? 
Yes, uh, I think there was the first sale that was done quite recently. I mean, in, in, in terms of innovation in, in real estate, I think in the near future, um, you know, you might have seen that we've uh, recently um, published a, a research on, on, on the ESG link to, uh, mm-hmm. to real estate. And we think that most of the innovation will come around that because okay. um, most money managers have to take that into account now in, you know, in, in their investment process. And we think that there will be a, um, a gradual improvement. So going from negative scoring um, which people were doing, which is, you know, uh, in a nutshell, is the fact that you are not going to invest in um, an ESG punitive uh, industry. For example, you might say, I will avoid mining investments, or mm-hmm. will avoid um, shark lending investments. So those those were the, um, the stage one, I would say, and that's where people have been focusing. We think that there'll be more innovation now with people doing positive screenings so coming up with their own kind of scoring methodologies with their own rating methodologies to evaluate um, uh, a real estate investment and make sure that it's actually ESG positive when you're doing it. And we think that that is going to lead to maybe um, real estate uh, borrowers um, doing more also um, for the greater good. So that, that will lead to innovation and you'll probably see people maybe linking the interest rate they're lending at with the quality, the ESG quality of your assets. That's something we, we're starting to, to um, think about on our side, see how we can incentivize borrowers to be uh, more green, to be more socially responsible mm-hmm. by incentivizing them. And the best way is obviously um, to lend them at, at lower rates if they meet certain criteria certain kpi so that's an area that i think is a space that will see a lot of innovation because it's a fast moving space um, in terms of the metaverse i mean obviously you know this whole web 3.0 that we're talking about um, with the use of of ai and 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 all of that is is interesting but it's in in it's in an infancy at the moment mm-hmm. um, you know you have to recognize that there's a new generation that grew up with internet entirely and you know they would have bank account on their mobile phone and never stepped into a bank physically so 30 years ago if we had spoken about a digital bank that would have been something you know unreal and unthinkable Mm -hmm. so i think similarly today um, it's hard to to grasp the concept of selling real estate in the metaverse but um, as we've seen with the the nfts as well that is not something you know i think the one has to remain open-minded to to these kind of things and take them as as they come okay so coming now to more like a personal side of the chat um you mentioned that you have a passion for maths and you have a very analytical mind so what do you like to do when you are not working Oh yeah, good one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually afraid I might disappoint you there um, because I spend most of my um, spare time with my family. So I try to. Uh, so I've got three children and my wife, okay. and uh, I basically have my weekends quite full um, with the schedule of the kids, and I try to spend a lot of quality time with them because during the week it's it's quite difficult, um, and I and I find that it gives me a very good balance, you know, to balance the the pace of the business, the life in 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 the in Mayfair, and the demand, you know, how how demanding it could be to do the job. But at the same time, on on the weekend, I like to just do simple things with the with the kids and um, and and the family. 
Well, I don't think that's disappointing. I think that's really sweet and really nice. <laughs> no, because and I mean, <laughs> usually when someone talk about maths, we'd expect to say, "Oh, I play chess," or you know, "I do, I do some AI coding on the weekend." <laughs> but, but no, I literally take the children, you know, horse riding, swimming pool, and you know, that's nice. And this that's kind well. of I mean, I think sometimes you need to switch off as well, and I think that's a very, a very nice way to switch off and and uh, then be able to do your your work things in the week. Otherwise, you know, we would get like crazy. And so the next question is, um, what does success mean to you? Like as a balance in your life, like between work and your family and... Okay, yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> success, I mean, success to me, I think is um, ultimately, I think is just achieving um, happiness um, I, I think to me, you know, we all try and, you know, whatever we're trying to do um, is to try and, and find and, and get to that place of happiness. Um, you know, I, I think it, happiness comes in, you know, all shape and, and form and it's up to each one of us to see what, what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And I think the ultimate goal really um, in life is to, to find that and, and, and achieve that. Um, so I would say to me, once you've got to that, you know, place in life where you, you know, you seem to be in a permanent um, state of happiness. I think that's what I would define uh, in my view as, as, as success. I mean, that's a very good definition. I agree with you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the last question uh, would be like, uh, do you have any advice for anyone wanting to start a career in, in the asset management industry? Um, sure, I think. I think, I mean, in, in, in the industry, obviously, you know, it's, it's grown so much and it's quite vast and it kind of encapsulates lots of different things. Um, but I think if it's really on the investment side of things, I think it's probably um, good to understand where is your circle of competence? What are what is your key area of expertise? What are your your kind of strengths and your biases? Because we we deal in you know in the investment side, we deal in, in probabilities and with a lot of uncertainties. You've mentioned all these crises, and obviously, what is certain is that there will be another crisis. You know, mm-hmm. so it is quite important to know what you think you know well and what you think you do well, so that you can understand where the limit of your own model are. You know, because Obviously, in, in everything we're doing, um, we are taking risk. You know, when you're doing an investment, you're taking mm-hmm. risk. Um, and what you want to do is taking um, measured risk, understood, and that you know what part, you know, knowing what you don't know is also equally as important as knowing well what you you know well, I think. So I think that's what I would try and, and, and you know, my advice would be try and, and understand yourself well and try and understand what you um can can master and what you can understand well and also um what you know what is the the part of unknown that you need to kind of a um make strategy around that's a good advice as well omar so we got to the end of the of the conversation thank you so much for for being here with us today thank you Patricia. Um, it was lovely chatting with you and and yeah so hope you have enjoyed the conversation as well very appreciated thank you very much Patricia, for your time thank you for having me and uh, yeah for everyone listening we will be back in two weeks and uh, follow up on social media and subscribe to our newsletter to be up to date thank you